Shall we pray? Well, Father, as we come to your word, we do want to ask that you'd speak to us. Lord, that you'd make your word alive, that you would touch our hearts and enable us to hear from you. Father, we want to ask that we might draw near to you in your word. Amen. Amen. Um, well, I'm going to um, speak from Colossians chapter 1, and really I'm talking about verse 27, which says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is my text, really, for this morning. And I suppose if you wanted a title um, for the message today, it would be, What is a Christian? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Um, it's been a difficult year, hasn't it? I know that you as a church have gone through some difficult times with your minister leaving. Uh, and it's actually been a difficult year for Caroline and myself as well. And I think when we have been through times of stress and difficulty and challenging times, it's quite useful to return to something very basic and just to refocus our lives. So that's what this morning is really about. It's just um, looking at the way Paul was drawing this church in Colossae back to something very fundamental um, for them. And that's what I want to do. Um, I said the year has been quite difficult for Caroline and myself. Um, the reason is that Caroline is one of four daughters uh, and they have found themselves scattered around the world. Caroline and her sister Rosalind live in Aylesbury. Um, she has another sister who lives in America and a third sister who lives in uh, Australia, a fourth sister who lives in Australia. Um, the sister who lived close to us, Rosalind, um, she was a fit lady in her late 60s, nothing wrong with her. She was physically fit, able, as physically able as anyone in their late 60s is, which for those of you who are that sort of age or older, you'll know that everything aches a bit. But most things function fine. So she was like that. She was, and she was a very capable woman. She was, uh, she'd been the headmistress of a school and she'd taken the primary school where she was headmistress from a failing school right through to an outstanding school. She'd developed it and she had a great love for the children and she'd developed this school because of her love for the children. She was sufficiently outstanding as a teacher that she was commended for her excellence nationally and she had in her study a, um, a certificate proving that she was an excellent head teacher. Um, she was sufficiently well regarded to be invited by the Queen to go and have tea with her one day. She was rather disappointed to find the Queen had invited several other people as well. Um, but she was always an optimist, very positive outlook, so she seriously expected to be on her own with the Queen when she was invited. Um, she'd retired and she'd become the chairman of governors in a local school. Um, and she was taking that school from being a failing school up to being what is now a good school. And when lockdown finished and you were able to travel to Australia, she decided she would visit her sister in Australia. And so she flew off 
in the middle of March to Australia and um, died, really, and it was as sudden as that. The day before she was due to come back, she went to bed and she never woke up. She had an intracranial hemorrhage and died instantaneously in her sleep in Australia. And really for Caroline and myself, the rest of the year has been picking up the pieces and sorting everything out as you have to. It was a wonderful, high-achieving life. Um, a woman who lived life to the full. Uh, she was also a very committed Christian. And uh, she died with her Bible open on her bed. So when she was found, she had a contented look upon her face and she had her Bible open adjacent to her. And that really spoke of her life. And you had to say, really, in the end, all of this achievement, all of this um, being an outstanding head teacher, tea with the Queen, recognised nationally for her great achievements, taking a, another school from failing as Chairman of Governors up to being a good school. What in eternity did it achieve? Well, for those children who were blessed, of course, it achieved a great deal. But what did it achieve for Rosalind? What mattered for her was one thing and one thing only. Christ in her, the hope of glory. And that is the only thing that mattered. Nothing else mattered. One of the things that, um, that we did when we were clearing her house was we went on um, a journey through her life, really, because as you clear somebody's house, you see all of the aspects of their life. She had a filing cabinet full of Christian notes. She didn't take them with her. You know, her Christian notes and her notebooks and all the courses she'd been on didn't really go with her. What went with her into eternity was Christ in her. What he had done in her life was what mattered in eternity, not what she knew about him, not the ex Christian experiences she'd had. And none of those things mattered. What mattered was her personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask Caroline if she would come and read Colossians chapter 1 for us, through to chapter 2, verse 14. So it's quite a long reading, which is why I've asked Caroline to do it, because her voice is much nicer than mine. Colossians 1, the whole chapter, and Colossians 2 up to verse 14. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ... Uh, I'll start again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even it, as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. <clears throat> for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, <coughs> bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labour, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. 
for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with a persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having been forgiven, all, having forgiven us all our transgressions having cancelled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. May God bless his word to us. Thank you very much. Well, the epistle to the Colossians was written by Paul in about AD 61-ish, somewhere between AD 61 and AD 63, when Paul was imprisoned in Rome. And uh, he wrote a number of letters during his imprisonment, and they were all carried to churches in the same area by the same man. In fact, the man who carried this particular letter to the Colossians was Tychicus, and he also, on the same occasion, uh, carried uh, the epistle to the Ephesians as well. So the, the two epistles were written at the same time to churches in the same region, so they cover the same sort of material, just expressed in a slightly different way. In fact, he also had a third letter with him, and we know that because of references in the, in the epistle to the Ephesians and in the epistle to the Colossians, and that was to the Laodiceans, but uh, that letter has unfortunately been lost. Um, so these were a group of churches, all living in the same area, um, and seeing the same sorts of events happening in them. They lived uh, along a main highway, and so there was a lot of travel 
um, past these churches. Of course, they met lots of people with lots of different ideas. And uh, what had happened is that they basically had come across quite a lot of the philosophies of men. So various ideas and philosophies had come their way, and they'd become interested in them. They'd also encountered Jews and become interested in the Jewish law. Uh, they'd also um, been subject of certain spiritual experiences, and so they'd begun to worship those experiences and begun to worship angels. Um, and then there were some of them who felt that perhaps if they led a more aesthetic life, a more disciplined life, a, more, a life of greater hardship, that would be good for them. And so they had these four things which had come into the church in Colossae, but it, they'd also come into other churches in the area, and they were man's philosophies, legalism, the worship of angels and great spiritual experiences, and aestheticism, hardship as a virtue. And what Paul is writing these epistles to do is in order to draw these churches back to the all-sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ and the message that Paul is really telling all of these churches is all you need is contained in Christ already. He is all that you need. You do not need to add any of these things in order to improve your salvation or enlarge your maturity, increase your maturity, or somehow just be better Christians. You don't need any of these things. Everything is in Christ already. Um, so he has four basic purposes. In this letter there are four fundamental things he's saying. And I'm just going to tell you what those four are and give you a verse which sort of focuses upon that purpose. So the first one is to remind them of the all-sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, which Caroline read for us, where Paul writes, For in him, that is Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. There was nothing missing. Everything was present in Christ Jesus already for them. The second purpose was to encourage them to remain faithful, to encourage them not to drift away or to move away from the salvation they had in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we find that in chapter 1, again, Caroline read it to us, chapter 1, verse 21, really summarises that for us, where Paul says, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast 
and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. <clears throat> you see, their salvation in Christ depends upon the remaining faithful to that salvation. We have free will in the same way that we can choose um, to believe and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to know his Lordship, we can choose not to. And we have to remain faithful to the choice which we made. The third thing he wanted to do was to correct these errors which had come into the church. So we find that in chapter 2, verse 8, where he begins to introduce this idea of these errors. So he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, an empty decision, uh, deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And he's really, this is the central focus of his letter, is to deal with these various errors which have come. And there are four of them, as I said. One is philosophies which they were beginning to um, be interested in. You find that in chapter 2, verses 8 to 15. Legalism, you find in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. The worship of angels is mentioned in chapter 2, verse 18. And asceticism or self-abasement um, you find in verses 20 to 23 of chapter 2. And the fourth thing that Paul has to say to them is something which he says to everybody. And that is that they are to live lives which are worthy of the Lord. And that is really from chapter 3 onwards. And so let me read you... Um, Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things of the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And Paul then goes on to dis describe, really, the way this death to our old sinful nature is to be worked out in our practical lives. All of Paul's epistles are divided into two basic halves. So the first half of every letter Paul writes is devoted to teaching and doctrine, the second half is always devoted to how we are to live, the way that is to be worked out in our lives, in our relationships, one with another. And just as a passing comment, I would say, make the general observation, as evangelical Christians, we're hugely interested in the first half of every one of Paul's letters, and we take very little interest in the second half. And that is a huge tragedy, and it's the reason why behaviour in Christian churches is often worse than you will find anywhere else. I have seen things in Christian churches 
in terms of behaviour towards one another that you would never ever get away with in the workplace. If you were to behave in a workplace in the way that we behave towards one another and speak in a workplace in the way that we sometimes speak to one another, you'd find yourselves out of a job. And it is because we do not take enough notice of the second half of every one of Paul's letters when he says you are to behave well towards one another. Um, and maybe we'll touch on that a little bit later on. So what I want to go on to do is just to take you through this first chapter of his epistle. So let's just start at verse 1. And I'm just going to walk you through it and just make some comments as we go. So verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace and peace from our God the Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Paul is going to write to them about these errors and so on and encourage them. And yet Paul is an experienced preacher. He's written many letters, he's spoken many times, and he knows that nobody really takes much notice. And anyone who stood at the front of a church and spoken knows that at least half the people are asleep and the other half who aren't asleep aren't really listening and if they are listening by the time they've left the building they've forgotten. And so Paul knows that the only way the Lord is going to get through to you is if he himself speaks to you. And Paul's words are going to do nothing. It's only if the Lord himself speaks into your heart that anything good is achieved. And so Paul is praying for them. And I don't know quite what it was he was praying, how it was he was praying. I mean, Paul tells us a little bit about that. But my guess is he was praying something along the lines of, Lord, please would you speak to them because they're not going to listen to me. And that's always the case. We only hear when God speaks to us. So it is vital that we pray for each other that we might hear. So Paul is praying for them, absolutely fundamental, because it's God who needs to speak, not him. And then he goes on to say, because of the hope, this is verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it's been doing since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. You know, the Gospel is really telling a message of a hope laid up for you in heaven. When my sister-in-law, she was my sister-in-law, but actually she was my sister in very many ways, I thought of her as a sister. When she heard the Gospel, I don't know, it must have been 40 years ago, she had a hope laid up in heaven. And her whole life was lived in anticipation of that hope. You know, the focus of her life was 
Not this life, but the next. She lived out this life in the hope of the next. You know, she had an ambition, and it's now realised. And we have an ambition, we have a hope in heaven that we're living towards. That's what the gospel is. It's the goal of, of an eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a hope in heaven for each one of us, and it's good to remember that. Um, it's, that's the good news of the gospel, that we have been transferred to the kingdom of God. And when Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, this thought must have been a little bit more present in his mind, because he expands on that particular principle rather more than he does in this, in this epistle. So let me read to you what he wrote to the Ephesians in the same way. So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. You know, the wonderful thing about the salvation that there is in the Lord Jesus Christ is that it is a finished work. That Christ is completely paid. Everything that God wants to bless you with has already been achieved in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything, that is the sole purpose of this letter really, from Paul to the Colossians, is to tell them that everything has been achieved already in Christ Jesus. The question is, will you enter into it? That's the only question. Everything has been done. Will you enter in? Do you desire to enter in? Will you make him everything in your life? Because he has done everything for you. You have been forgiven. And everything for your maturity has also been done. It's not just that your sin is forgiven. It's that everything to enable you to be a mature Christian has already been accomplished. So relax. Stop trying to do it yourself. Stop trying to earn your way to salvation and to maturity by your great spiritual acts, by your great knowledge, by your great spiritual revelations, by your adoption of philosophies and so on. Everything is in Christ. Will you enter in? That's the question. Well, let's carry on reading. We've got as far as verse 7. Just as you learned from it from Epaphras, our fellow bondservant, who's a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you, Again, you see, he's going on praying. And ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will 
in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know, it is difficult to know the will of God. It's something we often just presume we have, just like that. It's difficult to know the will of God. We need to pray to know the will of God. We need to seek to know the will of God. Don't just assume you've got it. Seek the Lord to know his will. And Paul is praying for them that they might really know the will of God for themselves. Then in verse 10 comes the crunch. Right? This is where Paul says, by the way, it's a good idea to read part two of this letter. And he says it like this. He says, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We are complete in Christ, but our behaviour needs to change. We are to be those who live in a different way. And it's good to ask, actually, what characterises a mature Christian? And just to seek, it's good to do a study. If you have never studied it, Look up mature in the New Testament and see what characterises the mature believer. Well, one of the things is not being tossed about by every idea that comes your way, being solidly grounded upon the Lord Jesus Christ and not being tossed around by every um, wind of doctrine. That's one of the signs of maturity, is that we're stable and established on the Lord. But another sign of maturity, and it's one which features more prominently, is that our lives have changed. So uh, the writer to the Hebrews puts it like this, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern between good and evil. In other words, the mature believer can make the distinction between what is good and what is evil. You know, it's, it's a wonderful thing, but we can all make the distinction in someone else's lives between what is good and evil, can't we? We can all say what is wrong with everybody else's life. That is not maturity. Maturity is being able to make the distinction in your own life between what is good and evil. That's maturity. And to act upon that distinction and to recognise my bad temper is something the Lord wants to deal with. The way I speak to my wife is something the Lord wants to deal with. To be able to make the distinction in our own lives is the sign of maturity. And Paul writes about that sort of thing all the time in the second half of his letters. So let me read to you from Galatians, the epistle to the Galatians, chapter one, uh, sorry, chapter five. I'm going to read to you from verse 16, and Paul is going to talk about this at length to the Galatians. Paul says this, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now what he means by walk by the Spirit is be sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what he means. So what he's saying is, 
If the Holy Spirit convicts you of something, take note and take action in your own life. That's what walk by the Spirit means. So he says, walk by the Spirit, you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are in opposition to one another, so you may not do the things which you please. Now God has placed his Holy Spirit in you in order to provide that check on your behaviour. So the Holy Spirit says, no, it's not a good idea to do that. And what God is looking for is us to respond. And then Paul gives them a list of things which are not a terribly good idea to do. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality. You know, we are to live upright, pure lives. Immorality has no place among us. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. You know, I, one of the things I suppose many of us may have done before we became Christians is to read our stars in the paper and look at what your star sign is and so on. Actually, that needs to come to an end. You know, that's what Paul is saying is, stop it. It's not appropriate. Enmities. Falling out with everybody. You know, there are those people who like a good punch-up. You know, it's not a particularly endearing feature. It can be quite enjoyable, but it's not for us. We're not to be those who have enmities, strife. Because why do we have strife? Well, it follows on from the next one. Jealousy. Now, we're jealous of one another. So we have strife with one another. And then what does that lead to? Outbursts of anger. Um, you know, sometimes uh, the Lord puts us in a situation where our hearts are revealed and we're quite surprised by it. Um, a good one is uh, you're walking down the road and your car has been parked um, for quite a long time and there's a traffic warden who's just put a, a parking ticket on your car. How do you react? Do you react with an outburst of anger? You know, boof! Your head's blown off. Or have you been able to control that? Now, one of the things the Lord will allow you is to allow your head to blow off in order for you to go back to him and say, Now, Lord, I still have a problem with my temper and I never even knew. And you've shown me I've got a problem with my temper. Lord, would you deal with it? And the next time when the traffic warden puts you the ticker on your car, the Lord will give you a little bit of a gap. And you can choose whether to blow your head off or not. Take, take the time. Don't let your head go off. And let the change be worked into you. That's the way the Lord begins to correct our behaviour. Disputes. You know, again, that's the whole business of arguing, isn't it? What do you do when someone doesn't agree with you? Do you have to convince them of your point of view? Are you the sort of person who everybody has to agree with, so you'll dispute with them? Or are you prepared to allow someone to disagree? And just say, okay, we will disagree, and we'll have to disagree over it. And maybe we'll have to separate a little bit because we don't agree over that. It's not necessarily always right to try and convince everybody all the time. Allow people the freedom to have their own views. Dissensions, 
factions, who's on my side and who's against me. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. The list is too long, Paul just isn't going to spell them all out, so we'll have things like these, you know, you can imagine. Of which I forewarned you, just as I forewarn you now, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's a pretty stern warning, isn't it, actually? What Paul is saying is, you must allow the Holy Spirit to begin to change your life. You know, we all start with all these things. But the Lord wants to change our lives. This is what maturity is. Allowing your life to be changed is what marks out maturity. And what does the Lord want to build into our lives? What is the Lord wanting us to become? Well, he goes on to say, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And of course, that's a self-sacrificial love. And that's not a sort of gooey, sentimental love. It's a sacrificial love. It's doing things when you don't really want to for the benefit of somebody else. It's sacrificial. Joy, peace, patience, <coughs> kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what the Lord wants to work into our lives. And that will, is what will distinguish us as mature believers. But the wonderful thing is, it's a finished work. Everything that is necessary to transform your life has already been done. It's just got to be worked into your life. Everything has been accomplished. It's marvellous that God has done everything that is needful in the Lord Jesus Christ, for your life and my life to be changed. The question for us is, will we allow him to work it out for us? Verse 11. So we're back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. And Paul then says, strengthened with all power. That's a dunamis power. It speaks of baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say what that outworking of that power, that baptism in the Holy Spirit, is going to bring in the life. And if you haven't got to the next verse, you might be a bit surprised when you read it. It says, strengthened according to his glorious might for the attaining of steadfastness and patience. If you're finding it's difficult to be steadfast with the Lord, you're all over the place, or maybe you lack patience, Ask for baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because baptism in the Holy Spirit, the power of God in the life, brings steadfastness and patience, the ability to endure difficult circumstances. <coughs> the ability to live with your difficult husband or your difficult wife or to cope with your difficult children or to cope with your difficult boss. You never thought baptism in the Holy Spirit was about that, did you? And yet here we find that the Lord gives us the powerful working of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order that we might be patient. Wonderful. The Lord has done everything that is needful. Are we going to enter in? That's the question. Going on, just reading on, verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You see... This message is just coming time and time again. 
Everything has been accomplished. You are qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then Paul then goes on to explain something of what it is that has been accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ and why all these things have been achieved. So verse 13, he says, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So all of this is possible because we have been redeemed, because we've been saved, because we've been transferred to his kingdom. Well, Paul needs to say something about the Lord Jesus Christ. If all of this is present in the Lord Jesus Christ, then it raises the question, who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Doesn't it? Who is it who's achieved all of this? So Paul then goes on and talks about who the Lord Jesus Christ is. So verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. In Christ we have the full revelation of God. If you want to know who God is, Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. He shows us who God is in all his holiness, but also in all his love and all his compassion and all his desire to see you saved. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. He is the invisible, the image of the invisible God in all his fullness. And then he adds in verse 15 to that, the firstborn of all creation. You know, there's nothing worse, is there, than talking to somebody who has been in somewhere for years. I mean, I, I don't know anything about you as a church, but I'm sure there have been people here who've been here for decades. Now, when you talk to them, they say, oh, I remember when. And, of course, they always were here before you, so they always know why what you think is a good idea shouldn't happen because Mrs. Miggins tried it 50 years earlier and it didn't work then. You know, and you think, oh, gosh. You know, people who were there from the start know everything. So, sorry, don't turn around and look at everyone. <laughs> They're in every church, it's the same. In every church it's the same. There have been people who've been there for decades uh, who know it all. Well, actually, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have someone who is there from the beginning of creation, who knows it all, but who isn't a know-all, if I can put it like that. The Lord Jesus Christ, there from the beginning of creation, he's seen it all, he knows it all, there isn't anything that he doesn't know, but he isn't a know-all. He loves you and is compassionate towards you and is even prepared to listen to you in all your ridiculous ideas. Firstborn of creation. And then we, then we see even more than that. For by him all things were created. He created everything. He spoke and it came into being. He was the one who created everything both in the heavens and on the earth. So not just restricted to this natural world, but also to the heavenly realms as well. Visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, for all things have been created through him and for him. Not only was he there at the beginning and brought everything into being, but it was all created for him as well. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I mean, we're in a world at the moment where everything is complete turmoil, isn't it? And we live in a world where everybody believes that everything is falling apart. You know, the world is falling apart. Where will we be next year if we don't do such and such this year? The sky will fall on our heads. It's like living in an Asterix book, really, where the sky was permanently going to fall on their heads. It's like that. If we don't do such and such, the sky will fall on our heads. And fear is endemic in our society. There are many people who are gripped by fear that the sky will fall on our heads. I don't mean literally, but you understand what I mean. The world is falling apart. In him, all things hold together. You can have a confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ for the future because he has everything in his hand. In him, all things hold together. Nothing will happen without his allowing it to happen. In him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He's not just the head of the church um, in general, he's the head of the church here in Court Farm. He's the head of the church locally as well as generally. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. So he's not only the Lord here whilst we're on earth, but actually he's also the firstborn of the dead. He's the Lord in heaven as well. He has care of my sister, Rosalind. And when he comes, she will come. Because he was raised from the dead, she is raised from the dead. In him is life. And if he is in us, then there is eternal life in us. And it is there already. So that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood, his blood on the cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The work of the cross is full, complete and accomplished. And although you are formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. You see, we can be presented before God, holy, blameless and beyond reproach. I mean, what a, what a wonderful thing, really. Just, we don't need, what Paul is trying to say to these Colossians is you don't need to add anything else. It's not a matter of what you know. 
It's not even a matter of who you know. You know, they lived on this highway that travelled through Colossae, that went from west to east, that everybody travelled along, so they heard everything. We have a highway in this world which is not dissimilar, it's called the internet. You know, and we can feel that somehow, if only we know everything off the internet, it will make us more mature, it will make us better Christians, it will perfect us, we will be beyond reproach. I, I'm going to uh, trespass on dangerous ground because I don't know any of you very well. Um, I don't know whether you've been vaccinated against COVID or not. I don't care. Um, it's your choice. But don't believe that COVID vaccination makes you holier. And don't believe it makes you less holy. What makes, you know, what it, everything is in Christ. It's not a matter of what you've learnt off the internet. The internet does not make you a better Christian. Knowing everything off the internet does not make you a better Christian. If you don't have the internet, it doesn't make you a better Christian. If you have a television, it doesn't make you a better Christian. If you don't have a television, it doesn't make you a better Christian. One of the things that Paul talks to the Colossians about is celebrating feast days. And Paul says to them, it doesn't make you a better Christian if you celebrate Christmas or if you don't celebrate Christmas. Maturity is not to be found in all of these things that we get so worked up about. And we fight about them, we dispute about them, we argue about them, and yet they don't really matter at all. They're just differences of opinion. What matters is whether the Lord has dealt with your temper, how you deal with your brother, how you deal with your sister, how you deal with your children, how you deal with your difficult boss, how much... Has the Holy Spirit been changing your life in the image of Christ? That's what makes maturity. It's not whether you celebrate Christmas or not. It's not whether you get vaccinated against COVID or not. These things don't matter. You make your own decision based upon your own understanding. And someone may make a different one. Now, there are some things that do make a difference. You know, we're to live moral, upright lives. We're not to get drunk. Those things that Paul listed in Galatians that he specifically says we're not to do. We're not to go carousing. I think those are groups of students that wander down the road singing in a drunken brawl. I don't imagine any of you could conceivably do that. You know, but we do do other things. Churches are full of immoral relationships. I don't know any of you, so I don't know what's going on here. But in most churches you find people who are living together who aren't married. Paul says specifically, get married. You know, we're to live moral, upright lives. But really, whether you celebrate Christmas or not, is not an issue of a moral and upright life. It's a matter of personal faith, isn't it? What the Lord has said to you personally. Do you have a television or not? It's what the Lord has said to you personally. Don't dispute over these things. How do we to get diverted like that? Never mind. Yes, everything has been done to present you before him, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. You know, and, and, that, and everything is achieved already. We don't need to add any of these things in in order to be beyond reproach. And then he goes on to say something important in verse 23. If, indeed, you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast. 
that provided you continue and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body which is the church in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I which I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery that has been hidden from past ages and generations but has now been manifested in his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To a Jew like Paul, the very thought of the Messiah dwelling in a Gentile was so beyond anything critical. That here he is describing now this huge mystery that the Lord Jesus Christ could even come, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, could come in such a way that he could dwell in the midst of Gentiles. It is a hope of glory. What is a Christian? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what a Christian is. Shall we pray? Well, Father, we want to thank you for the wonderful work of salvation. Father, we want to thank you that all is done and is finished, all for us to be complete, mature, blameless, beyond reproach. Lord, we want to thank you that you're not looking for us to add anything other than our willing obedience and love to the sacrifice of your Son. And Father, we want to say we're so sorry that we so neglect seeing our lives changed and we so dispute over things that don't matter at all. Lord, we would ask you, do the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives and change us to be more like yourself. Amen. Amen. Amen.